Welcome to Christian Fellowship Ministries. Join us as we continue in the book of Matthew. How do you handle temptation? Do you try to stand firm or look for an easy way out? Stay tuned as Pastor O'Neill gives us insight on these questions and more. We're going through a series in, in Matthew. And Matthew is just... I guess I didn't realize it how much it, this was true before, but he's just in your face with Jesus. This is who Jesus is. Uh, he's king, and you've got to get on board or get out of the way. Um, that's basically every passage is just an onslaught of that basic truth. And today we've, we look at a, a pretty familiar passage. It's a, a passage that if, you, if you've been around Christianity, you've been in church uh, for any number of months or years, you probably caught wind of this, this idea, this uh, episode, this event, where Jesus uh, is in the wilderness and is tempted by the devil, is tempted by Satan. Um, and temptation is, is one of those things that um, is a core aspect of Christianity, that there is a tempter, there is, there is a devil, there, there is uh, our own flesh, and we are tempted by many things. James writes in his book, he says, we all stumble in many ways. You know, we all, we're not always stumbling in the same ways. We all stumble in many ways. And I think that means, you know, what might be a big temptation for you is not necessarily a big temptation for me. But none of us are going to raise our hand and say, oh, there are no temptations for me. And what's difficult for me as a pastor is I stand up here. Um, you know, some of you maybe that have let me in a little bit, I know a little bit maybe what some of those weaknesses are, but for most of you, I don't know what those weaknesses are. I mean, I can speak in generalities. You know, the things that tempt us out there, and, and we all can come up with generalities, lying, cheating, stealing, adultery. I mean, but during the course of this message, I mean, you've got to think, let the Spirit speak to you. What is the way that you stumble? It might be that thing that just drives you mad. It might be that thing that you keep returning to like a dog returns to its vomit and you feel like a dog and you feel disgusting and your spirituality is shutting down because you're so sick and tired of this disgusting cycle. Or maybe emotionally it's too hard to feel so disgusting, but you're not experiencing victory either, so you just shut it down, shut your feelings down, and you just say, hey, we all have weaknesses and you don't deal with it. Maybe some of us put blinders on and we ignore it. And if someone calls you out on it, you just you close it out, you lock it out because you don't want to deal with it. But if I'm right in assessing that, none of us can in here you know, raise our hand and say, I have nothing like that at all. Um, then that means that each of us has at least one, two, maybe more areas where when this particular temptation comes knocking, you open the door like a slave. It's, it's a weak spot. It's, it's, a, it's a weakness. Um, I remember when I used to play, uh, you know, action figures with my cousin. We were little and we would get our toys out. And sometimes we would play this game where uh, he's the bad guy and I've got the good guy, right? And I've got to defeat the bad guy, but there's a weakness. It's an invulnerable. He's invulnerable. He can do anything he wants. I actually had like 20 good guys because all my guys are getting killed until I find out what this weakness is. I've got to find out what it is. And it was, it was kind of a fun game. But I think, man, I think Satan operates that way. He's just going to keep checking you and checking you and checking you until he finds out what's that thing that makes you stumble. It won't be the same for me as it will for you. 
Some of us share some, some areas. But many of us have that one thing. And when this thing comes knocking, you open the door because it's too hard to resist. What is that thing? I want to look at this passage today and I want to talk about victory over temptation. Victory over temptation. And that passage is found in Matthew chapter 4. If you have Bibles, please turn there. Uh, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, the first of the four Gospels. Um, you could use your table of contents. We have Bibles in the pews if you need a Bible, but I really want you to see it for yourself, see what's here for yourself. Um, I see some of you are taking notes. That's awesome. I want you to take notes on the passage, not on Pastor Lucas. I want you to see what God has to say to you in His Word so that if you never remember who that guy was that stood up there on Sunday, you remember Matthew 4. Alright? So Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. In this passage, we're going to do a couple things. First, we're going to read it. After we read it, we're going to see how it's not meaning what we normally take this passage to mean. The, the, the typical sermon, the typical Bible study, the typical devotional, I've done this a few times too myself, it's not really heading in the direction that we normally take this passage to be heading. So then we're going to unravel that, and then we're going to look at, well, what is it saying? And then what that means for us. Alright, that's our path this morning. You ready? All right, Matthew chapter 4. Let's read it together. Follow along with me. Um, If you remember, Jesus was just baptized, and now he's God basically inaugurates him. This is my beloved son. This is the one. He's the one. And now Jesus is getting ready to do his ministry. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Jesus, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city to set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you. If you fall down and worship me, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So just some real brief, basic observations, okay, of what's going on here. First of all, Jesus wasn't meandering through the streets, and then suddenly the devil came, okay? This was set up by God. God, the Spirit, verse 1, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is something that had to happen. Um, It was God's idea and allowed Satan to tempt him. Then Satan comes at him with three different temptations. And all of them sort of challenge his, you know, if you you are the Son of God, 
You know, if you are who you say you are, why don't you do this, that, and the other thing? So the first one, he, he, he tries to get on the side of, you know, Jesus was a human. That's why when we read it, it says, after 40 days, hey, he was hungry. And we're like, uh, duh. Well, not duh. If you're like, this is the son of God. He's not supposed to be weak. Well, he was weak because he hadn't eaten in 40 days. And he was also fully man. Like the song we just sang, son of God and son of man. There was those two things going on in Jesus at the same time. He was hungry. And so he was weak. Maybe he couldn't see straight. Maybe he was hard, having a hard time walking by now. And Satan comes in that moment to tempt him. Uh, he says, if you're the son of man, turn these stones into bread. So then Jesus quotes scripture. And Jesus says, well, the Bible says that you're not supposed to live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. So until God tells me it's time to eat, I'm not going to eat. Because what God says is more important than what my stomach says. Okay? That's, he, so he quoted scripture to say, you, you got it wrong. So then Satan, then the second one, he said, well, you like to quote scripture. I know scripture. I read scripture. I sneak in in the synagogue sometimes. And he quotes Psalm 91. And he says, doesn't the Bible say, like, if you were to jump down from here, that they would catch you? Isn't that Psalm really talking about you? Now, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't go, now, now Lucifer, that's not what it's really saying, and he could have. But instead, he just quotes another passage that just completely nullifies the devil's argument. It says, the Bible says, and he quotes from the same passage that he just quoted last time. Deuteronomy 6 through 8. It says, it's written that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Even if it's true that I jump down from him and he catches me. You're not, we don't put the Lord to the test. You ever hear about those crazy sects of S-E-C-T-S, right? That live out in the mountains and they, they handle snakes and they drink poison. Somebody was watching on, on the History Channel the other day, they're like, what are these people doing? What are they crazy? And I'm like, well, the Bible a couple times talks about you shall trample serpents, they won't, you know, they, they won't be able to get you, or a snake will bite you and you don't. And then Paul you know, grabs a bundle of sticks and a snake bites him and he's okay. And, and so they're just like out there proving. And then I was reading this, I'm like, wow, they're, they're putting the Lord to the test. Right? Jesus says, you're not supposed to put the Lord to the test. So then Satan says, okay. And then he takes him to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these I'll give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus, I don't know if he's had enough, but be gone, Satan, you know. Now, on first glance, that's kind of like the dumbest of the three. You know, Satan is going to promise Jesus the world. I, you know, Colossians read that Jesus created the world. Jesus holds all things together. God the Father is the one that entrusts all this to Jesus. Uh, well, that's true, but Satan also has power in this world. You know, in Ephesians 6, when it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, we wrestle against principalities and powers of darkness. He didn't say we wrestle against a bunch of chumps. He said actual powers. They, they, they have powers. They have control. He is prince of this world. And so what the Satan was offering Jesus was, I know that this path of suffering that you're doing is a time to get to the cross and all this nonsense that was predicted by Isaiah and stuff. But listen, you don't have to do all that to get worship. You don't have to do all that to get a kingdom and a crown. You don't have to do all that to enjoy all this I have before you. I'll give it to you. I'll dethrone Caesar. I'll dethrone all these people. I'll keep the barbarians at bay because that's eventually what I'm going to use to overthrow Rome. And, and listen, I'm gonna, all this stuff I'll pull and orchestrate so that you're on top. It was a legitimate temptation. It was a legitimate offer. 
that he was offering. And Jesus said, Be gone, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you will serve. Then the devil left, angels came and ministered to him, which is ironic because that's what he was asking him to test. If you jump down, won't angels catch you? I'm going to just do what the Lord says. You know, get out of here. He left, and angels did come and minister to him. So that's kind of cool. Now, what is the common denominator between these three temptations? All three of these, Satan is trying to get Jesus to do one thing. Whether it's turning stones to bread, or whether it's jumping down and being caught, and everybody going, oh my goodness, he is the Messiah, and then get that immediate glory. Or if it's to say, okay, yes, I'll bow down to you now, and I won't have to do all the suffering stuff, and then do things your way, and I'll get this immediate glory and kingdom. All three of those are the same thing. He's saying, Jesus, the path that God has, the Father has in front of you is a hard path. It's a difficult path. It's a path that involves suffering. It's a path that's, this, that's hard. You can skip that. Take the easy route now. You can skip all that stuff that would eventually get to glory and get glory now. All three are the same temptation. Like, don't finish this fasting. Just eat now. And do it in an awesome way that proves that you're the Son of God. Okay, that didn't work. Okay, how about you jump down and every, you, get, you get caught by angels and everyone can see you and immediately everyone gives you glory and they're not going to crucify you. Okay, that didn't work. Okay, how about I give you all these kingdoms and let's just skip all of it. Skip what people think. Skip what the crowds think. You know at the end of the day, I'm the one that has this stuff in my hands. I'll give it to you right now if you worship me. Let's just shortcut the suffering and get to glory now. And Jesus said no. Okay. Now guys, I think when, when we're talking about temptation, this is, this is the common pattern, is it not? You know, you know that it's, that it's better to not do that thing, but in the moment, it's a shortcut to pleasure. In the moment, that temptation, whatever it is, maybe it's already on your mind, maybe the Spirit's already putting it in your heart, whatever that thing is that knocks you down, when it comes up at rapping at the door, you feel like you have to open, you're enslaved to this, this repeated pattern, this temptation that has such a stronghold over you. It's always a shortcut to pleasure. It's like a drug. You know, maybe your temptation actually is a, a substance, or it acts like it. You know, I, I don't know of anybody who's been addicted to drugs that goes, oh my goodness, I can't wait to get home and stick that needle in my arm. It's so cool. Talk to a drug addict. They do it because they have to. And in that moment when they're cold sweats and they're, they're, just, they're, they're having these withdrawal symptoms and they're going, oh my goodness, I know in my head that if I stick this out and deal with the withdrawal systems for long enough, the temptation will go away and get less and less and less. But I can't deal with it now. Let me just take the shortcut. Put the needle in. <sighs> All right, now I could get back to work. Wipe off the sweat, get back to your desk, and keep going. That's how sin operates. You know it destroys you. You know it displeases God. You know it's no good for you. Why in the world do you do it? To shortcut suffering. That's why. The things that God asks you to do are hard to do. Just keep your eyes on one woman. And in a world where there's TV, internet, billboards, you know, summertime, and you go to the mall and you're like, oh my goodness, and just, everyone's wearing, you know, scantily clad. And, and God is saying, you have to just have your eyes for one woman, your wife. That's it. That's it. And it's so difficult, right? When the temptation comes knocking, it's saying, hey, just, just take a time out from that real quick. I know that's real hard. Just open the release valve. Let some of the steam out a little bit. Cheat here, cheat there. It's a shortcut for suffering. 
Instead of sticking it out the way God wants you to do it, you take the easy way out, get the fun and the pleasure now, and just deal with the consequences later. All three times Jesus said, no, I'm going to worship. No, I'm going to listen to the word of God. No, I'm going to do things the way the Father tells me to do them, even if it's the hard route. Okay, that's how Jesus dealt with the temptation. Satan walks away. When Luke records the story, he said Satan left him for a time. So Satan's not done. He's, he's like, okay, rematch later. Um, but that's how Jesus dealt with it. Now, when we look at this passage, at first glance, we say, okay, this is how Jesus dealt with temptation. So this is how we're supposed to deal with temptation. When temptation comes knocking, you quote a verse. When temptation comes knocking... You know scripture. You don't know the verse that speaks to that occasion. But after further study, I, I got to tell you guys, I don't think that's what this passage is getting at. I mean, I know it. I know, I know it. This is not what this passage is getting at. To say, okay, guys, here's, how, here's the model for dealing with temptation. Here's how you do it, guys. When Satan comes and when the temptation comes knocking, crack open your scripture, find the appropriate verse, apply it, that's your sword, and then Satan will be defeated, and now you can be the undefeated Christian walking in victory. I think that's a formula for defeat. Because that bypasses the main point of this passage. And I had to wrestle with this, guys. I had to wrestle with this because I'm looking at this and I'm like, that's so good. That's so good, right? What an easy application. You, when Satan comes, you've got to know Scripture. I was already getting geared up to tell you guys, make sure you get more involved in a small group. Let's have a little bit more uh, uh, deeper questions in our small groups. They help us dig in the text, right? Make sure everybody's got their own Bible. Encourage you guys, read your Bible. And I want to encourage you guys to do that. But I can't go there because I don't think that's the main point. Of this passage. Right, what is the main point? Let's look at that. There's a couple things going on here that after first glance, you can look at it a little bit more, you start to see things uh, that start to uh, start to come alive. The first thing is that there's a there's a contrast between what Jesus is doing here and Israel, right? Like if you guys have ever read the Old Testament, you know, or you know. Uh, thumb through it or saw movies like the Ten Commandments and stuff. I mean, you know the basic story of Israel, how Abraham was chosen. He had a bunch of kids who had a bunch of kids and they became a people and they were God's people, but eventually they became enslaved in Egypt. That was 400 years. And then they were rescued, delivered by Moses. And then they went into the wilderness. They were supposed to go into the promised land, but they disobeyed. And so they wandered in circles in the desert for 40 years until that generation died and then they were ready to go and take in and that's when Joshua came in, right? Okay. There's parallels here. Israel was in the desert for how long? 40 years, okay? Um, and then Jesus was fasting for how long? 40 days. And where was Jesus doing the fast? In the wilderness, okay? So this was a time in the Old Testament God said, I have you in the wilderness to test you. I have you in the wilderness to test you. And that's the word temptation is the same word as testing. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tested. Okay? So there's the parallel right there. Now every time Satan tempts Jesus, Jesus quotes a verse from Deuteronomy 6-8. through 8. It's the same chunk. So for instance, if you were doing your devotions in Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8 one morning, and then the next morning you read this, you'd go, oh, 
whoa, Jesus just did his devotions in the same devotions I did. He's quoting from the same, it's the same passage. Every time Jesus throws a temptation, Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy. Why? Because Jesus is drawing the parallel and the contrast between him and Israel. Where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. Right? So you remember like when they were, they were complaining about food and God sent bread raining from heaven? What was that called? Manna, right? And so they'd open their tents in the morning and wipe the stuff out of their eyes and there's bread on the floor. And they, they, excuse me, they wouldn't have to harvest it. They wouldn't have to grind it. This, this bread is there. This, this manna is there. Okay. Um, then after they got tired of that, they complained and they wanted meat. And then when they got thirsty, they complained and the water had to come from a rock. And then they just kept complaining and they kept sacrificing God's word and trust in God for food. Jesus did the opposite. I'm going to sacrifice food for trusting in God's word, right? So he had the victory there where Israel didn't have the victory. And you remember the other temptation when he says, um, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Israel did that all day long, putting God to the test. And God is saying, guys, stop putting me to the test. You know, I mean, how many times do I have to prove myself to you? I rescued you from Egypt. I'm the one that you have to follow. Don't put me to the test. Then later in scripture, guys, don't put me to the test like Israel did back then, because don't do that, Right? Jesus succeeded there by not putting God to the test when Israel failed. And then the other one, worship me. Um, in Deuteronomy 6 through 8, God tells Israel, guys, you have to just worship me. You have to only serve me. Now, when I take you into this land, don't worship their other people. Don't, I mean, the, the other people's gods. Don't worship their idols. Don't do all this stuff. I mean, they didn't have to get there. It was already, at, you know, when Moses was taking too long, they formed this golden calf and started worshiping it and started bowing down to this thing. I mean, their heart was always towards something else. They didn't want to re- replace God. They just wanted God and something else and other little things to carry around and adopt other nations' worship habits. And when Jesus was tempted to do the same thing, he conquered it. Okay, so what is, the, what is Matthew trying to get at here? He's saying, you remember all Israel went through and how they kept failing? And every time Satan would tempt them or any time any kind of temptation came, they would fail. The kings would fail. The people would fail. Uh, Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't fail. And this comes right on the heels of his baptism. Remember last week, why did Jesus have to get baptized? He said, to fulfill righteousness. Jesus is already righteous, right? But we're not. And so Jesus' path is to try to fulfill a righteousness that you and I can't fulfill. Jesus is trying to live the life. He's living the life that you and I couldn't live. So when we look at this, we see, first of all, okay, in contrast to all Israel's failures, we see that Jesus succeeds. And that's Matthew's point. Matthew's point is not to write a story about how to fight temptation, guys. Matthew's point is to write a story how you can't fight temptation, but Jesus did. Matthew's point is that you can't be king because you get defeated by sin. Jesus is king because he was never defeated by sin. Matthew's point is that where you and I have to open that door because the temptation is too strong, Jesus slammed the door because he's stronger than the temptation. Where you and I falter, where you and I fail, Jesus never failed. Satan comes personally and gives his, 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 his best shot in Jesus' most weak, his weakest moment, and Jesus becomes the victor. Okay. Now, when we look at this passage, it can't be that we walk away and say, okay, this passage is saying I need to buck up and, and perfect my temptation fighting habits the way Jesus perfected it. You know why it can't be that? 
Because Scripture from front to back teaches that you can't do it, guys. If we were able to do it, we wouldn't need Jesus to do it. Now, Jesus' primary purpose to come was not to just be a model. Okay, Jesus' primary purpose was not to just show you how to live your life and then go up in heaven and be like, I hope they do it now. I hope starting right now they'll be able to follow and do it the way I did it. You know, if you guys ever wear those what would Jesus do bracelets? Now that's, that's sometimes an encouraging thing and sometimes it's just a demoralizing thing, isn't it? Because first of all, half the time we don't know what Jesus would do. I don't have his wisdom. You know, like would he... Would he spank the child or, or have a long talk or something in between? Or what would he do? I don't know. And then you're at work and you see somebody cheating. And like, do I report it and be the, be the backstabber guy? Would Jesus be the backstabber guy? Or do I confront him and, and just say the, Jesus would just say the perfect thing? He'd probably break out in a parable. And then people would just be like, oh my goodness, you know? Then it would be so profound. I can't do that. And so you take off the bracelet and put it in a drawer. And you're like, I don't even know what that means. Do what Jesus did. I mean, all that does is it kind of sets the standard up here, what Jesus is and who Jesus is, and just keeps showing you how you can't ma- match that standard. Well, that's the exact point that Matthew's trying to make in this passage, guys. He's not saying, look how Jesus, if Jesus did it, you could do it. No, it's the opposite. You can't do it, but Jesus could. It's the opposite point. And I think the problem that we have, guys, the problem we have is so often we walk around, right, trying to be like Jesus, we walk around trying to be like Jesus. And I know what you're thinking in your head, like, what are you saying? We shouldn't be like Jesus? We should strive for it. Paul tells us, have the mind of Christ. Okay, we strive for that. But the problem is there's a difference in the striving. Okay, there's a difference in the striving. You can strive to be like Jesus because deep down inside you're trying to not need Jesus. Or you can strive to be like Jesus because you know you need Jesus. Here's the difference, okay? Here's the difference. The person that strives to be like Jesus because they're trying to be like Jesus, okay, because they, deep down they don't feel like they really need Jesus, they're in a religion of trying. They're in a religion of trying to do, trying to earn. Right? That was the problem with the prodigal son. Uh, the elder son is mad because his younger son was off in the land doing all this crazy stuff and he comes home and he just gets the robe and a bath and they clean him up and they invite him in. and What's up with that? Look at all the work I've been doing. He doesn't earn sonship. I earn sonship. And then the father comes outside and he's like, son, you don't understand. Sonship is not earned. Sonship is given. And all that I have, I give to you. And the elder stays outside. The elder son, he doesn't get it. Okay? So in Christianity, in churches, we have two different groups of people. We have, we, they both attend church. They both read scripture. They both love the Lord, they think. But only one of them really gets it. See, one of them is like the elder brother. They're trying to strive. They're trying to do. They're like, what's a Christian supposed to do? Stop cussing, dress nicer, laser off you know, my tattoos. I don't know. Whatever we, these external things, are, you know, sometimes they, re, they, they really don't matter. We, we make up all these kinds of rules. We're supposed to dress a certain way or whatever. Or say you're not that drastic and you say, okay, stuff that's directly from the Bible. I know I'm supposed to read it. I know I'm supposed to pray. I know I'm supposed to be faithful to my wife, etc., etc. Let me do all these things and then equal sign, I've got it now, the righteousness. Okay? And so you read about Jesus. Oh, that's how Jesus did it. Okay, I got it. I got it. I'm going to do it now. Okay? The other person tried that route and recognized quickly that it doesn't work. And that person comes before God and says, God, I, I, I can't be Jesus. I can't do it the way Jesus did. 
I don't think like Jesus. I don't feel like Jesus feels. I don't, I don't love like Jesus loved. I don't have wisdom the way Jesus had wisdom. I'm so broken. I'm so far from that. All I have to offer you, God, is dirty rags and, and filthy stuff that even if I try to put it together and make it into a nice package, it's just disgusting because it's so stained with what I bring to the table. And Jesus is unstained. Jesus is perfect. Jesus never made a mistake. And I got to tell you, I make all kinds of mistakes. And I can't match that. One of them walks in and prays like this. Lord, I pray that I'm not like that chump over there who has all these mistakes and everybody looks at it. I thank you that I know Scripture and that I have the mind to memorize it more and more than maybe this other person and that I've been in church longer. Thank you that I've been in church longer. And then the other person just prays and beats his chest and he's like, have mercy on me. I'm just a disgusting sinner. You know which one Jesus said is the one that really knows him? The one that's on the floor. And so when we take a passage like this and we say, okay, okay, that's how you do it. Now, when I leave here, would Jesus open the door? So I'm not going to open the door. Would Jesus say that in response to my wife's nagging? Then I'm not going to say that in response to my wife's nagging. Would Jesus do, say that to the kids? Okay, so I'm not going to say that to the kids. And we're saying, here's Jesus' bar, and I'm going to try to match it. I'm going to try to live my life and live the way Jesus lived and do it the way Jesus did. And every time a temptation comes, I'm going to know the exact scripture to quote at it. I'm going to know exactly how to apply it. When Satan tries to twist the word, I'm going to go, ah, I'm a better scholar than you, Satan. And I'm going to untwist it already. I lost half you guys because you guys come up to me and tell me like I don't feel like a scholar I don't feel like I can read the Bible and come up with stuff right and I try to encourage you guys to start with the basics come on I feel the same way too you know that's a that's a that's a hill we can't climb I mean that's what Matthew is not trying to say he's not saying here's Jesus try to live up to that guys if you can't live up to what Jesus did in the desert then you're done not what he's saying he's saying none of us can do that in the desert in our moments of weakness, we all stumble. James says it. We stumble in many ways. Now, that's the point. That's the main thrust. That's the main point. It was the same point as last week's sermon. Okay? He did this to fulfill our righteousness. Live the life we couldn't live. Alright, so what do we do when temptation comes? Do we just go, well, Satan defeated that in the desert. No, this is a moment right now. You've got to make a decision. This, this temptation is knocking. What are you going to do? You realize one night, man, it's the same thing over and over again that keeps stumbling me. What are you going to do? Just go, well, you know, I can't be like Jesus, so forget it. And throw your WWJD bracelet in the drawer and just and hang it up. No, that's not it either. Because if that was your approach, that means you haven't been fully impacted by Matthew's point. Matthew's point is that you, there's nothing, is not that you don't have anything to do when temptation comes. His point is that if you try to buck up and white-knuckle it, and get through the temptation, just, mm, just hold it, and fight it, and just fight it off. He's trying to rescue you from that, guys. He's saying, instead of clinging to what you can do, and clinging to your wherewithal, and clinging to your smarts, and clinging to the verses that you know, and clinging to your Bible knowledge, and, and Sunday school and stuff, again, I'm, saying, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with learning, because I wouldn't have done the seminary and all that stuff, Right? But if we cling to that stuff, like that is going to be our spiritual success, that's when we fail. What are we supposed to cling to? The only one, the only person that defeated it. Jesus. I'm going to show you what that looks like. We're going to look at a couple of passages. Okay, You don't have to turn there. We have them on the screen. But real quickly, I want to show you how this isn't just Matthew. This is all over. We'll go to two verses. 
And the first one I want to show you is in James. Uh, James, we have it there, okay. James 4, 7. You can turn there if you want, but we have it up on the screen. Here's what he says in James 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 7. James says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Okay, let's... And then cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now let's pause it there a second. He started out by saying, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil. Right? That's how he started. Resist the devil, guys. He's saying, you can resist the devil. There's a way to do it. There's a way that when the devil, if the devil himself, the one himself comes knocking at your door to try to trip you up, there's a way to resist him, guys. Okay? Now, what's the way to resist him? Three devotionals a day, try harder, get more counseling, show up at more church services, dress nicer. No, listen to what he says. Here's how you resist the devil. You draw near to God. How do you draw near to God? You cleanse your hands. You sinners, purify your hearts. You double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let laughter turn to mourning and joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. What does that mean? Walk around and just live a miserable life? And just, just be miserable, guys. Just be miserable. And, and then you'll resist them. No, he's saying the double-minded person is the one that on the one hand wants God's help and on the other hand tries to help yourself. And you can't live your life like that, guys. You have to come to the point where you're going, oh my goodness, my hands are dirty. And then you come to God and you're like, God, look at these dirty hands. Every time I go out there, I can't help it. It's like they attract mud. It's like I'm always tripping in the same muck and mire all over again, all the time. Can you cleanse me? Can you fix me? Can, can, you, can you change me? Can you make me a different person? I'm not going to go out there laughing like, ha, 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 the silly sins and, and laugh at the silly things. And No, it bothers me. It breaks me. It grieves my heart that I mess up with this stuff. And I come before you, God, and I'm broken and I'm wretched and I mourn that I fall before you and I mourn that I grieve your heart. That's the person that God exalts. That's the person that God uh, gives victory to and empowers to resist the devil. If you resist the devil with what you can bring to the table, you go toe-to-toe with the devil, you're done. You're toast. But the way to resist the devil is to go, whoa, I can't even do this battle. God, please. God, please. You're on your knees. It's an attitude of repentance. It's an attitude of heart change. You know, in my life and in other people's lives that I talk to on, on, a, on a serious note, um, the greatest times of victory in your life are not when you make New Year's resolutions. Those often set you up for the biggest failures. Sorry to burst any bubbles, but that tends to be true. You ramp up your feelings, and it's the new year, it's a new calendar. Okay, go, go. Get a couple accountability partners. All right, go. And it's all external stuff, but inside, inside, you still feel like you can do it. If it's just the new year, all I needed was a new year. All I needed was a few accountability partners. All I needed was just a little bit of help, and I can do it. I can do it. Choo-choo. You know, the little stories that we read to our kids, the little train that could. I'm the little train, and we try, and we try. You know, and we have this in our minds, like we can all do it if you just try hard enough. And Scripture, all over again, over and over again, keeps telling us, you can't. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. Jesus wouldn't have needed to do the baptism. He wouldn't have needed to go to the wilderness to conquer the temptation. He wouldn't have needed to go to the cross. It's because we can't that we need Christ. And as, soon, as long as we have the attitude that I can, 
Temptation will defeat us. When we have the attitude that I can't, even though it sounds negative, even though it's not the empowering thing that our elementary school teachers want, it's the truth. And he's saying, guys, if you want to be able to resist the devil, you have to come to the position where you realize that you can't resist the devil, and then God will empower you to resist the devil. A little paradoxical, but that's how it works. Let's look at one more passage real quick. 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want to look at uh, verses 8 and 9. It was a familiar passage. It says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Look at verse 9. Resist him. There's a way to resist this prowling lion. Resist him. How? By being firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering you are experienced by your brotherhood are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So there's a way to resist him by being firm in your faith. What does that look like? He described it in a couple verses earlier. Let's go back up to verse 6. This is what it looks like to resist him. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. That's what resistance looks like, guys. It's not going, okay, I have all these anxieties, I have all these things that trip me up, I have all these things that make it hard for me to be a Christian. Okay, I'm going to do it this time, God. I'm going to do it this time. That's casting anxieties on yourself. That's bearing the burden yourself and say, okay, I got it now. I got it. Let's do it. Now this time. Okay, oh, I messed up again. All right, now for real this time. Over and over and over. Until you either quit or just block it out or leave church or something happens and then Satan wins, right? You've got to come to the point where you say, wow, I read Matthew 4 and I see Jesus did it and I can't do it. And so every moment I need Christ. I need to surrender to Him, to be under Him, to be pushing after Him and I need to be repentant. I need to recognize that I can't do it. And there's power in recognizing I can't do it. It's like the, the, the substance abuse group that starts with, you, you, you can attend, but your opening thing has got to be like, hi, my name is Lucas O'Neill, and I'm an alcoholic. Oh, that's the breakthrough, right? Just admitting that you are. And progress can't be had until you admit that you are, right? Spirituality with Christ is the same way. You have to come to the point where you realize you can't. And if you keep going home trying, I can, I can, I can, you fail. I want to ask Mike to come and, and play softly for a moment. And, um, you know, if you're a regular here and this is the time that you give, that's fine. If, if you're new, um, don't feel obligated to give. But I want, what I want you guys to do is the tear-off card in your bulletin, I want you to use that as a time of response, okay? Um, uh, Mike's going to play softly. We're not going to sing, but um, the basket's going to come around. I, I want you guys to, if there's a way we could follow up with you, if there's uh, something that's hanging you up, you could use a talk or you could just use somebody to pray for you. Um, I encourage you to, to fill that out. Find one of us uh, after the service and while everyone's talking and chit-chatting and stuff, let's just take a time out to pray. To say, I, I need prayer. And you share as much or as little as you want. Um, but let's lay it down. Instead of saying, instead of trusting in myself, I need to trust in Christ. And instead of trusting in what I can do, I need to start trusting in Jesus. Maybe you look back in your spiritual life and, and you've made a lot of commitments to God, 
but you don't remember ever having a, a moment of, of brokenness, a moment of saying, God, I can't make commitments. I just can't even make commitments because I can't keep them. That's where God wants you. That's where God wants you, in that place where you recognize you can't do it. That's what Jesus is for. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. Um, pass the baskets around. If you guys tear off that card, put a response there. Uh, if you want to join one of our groups, just to be around other people that are in the same boat, check that off on there. Um, and if you miss the basket, you can hand it in on the way out. This has been a presentation of Christian Fellowship.